Welcome, guys, to part three of muscle disorders. How about、uh, Lee syndrome? Yeah, so Lee syndrome、uh, is known as subacute necrotizing encephalomyelopathy.、Uh, it's unfortunately one of the more、uh, devastating mitochondrial disorders, and、uh, you usually will see it in a newborn or a very young child、uh, due to a variety of underlying mutations. But、uh, because of all those different mutations, you can have different presentations that can include any of the features of Uh, mitochondrial disorders,、uh, diffuse weakness and atrophy are, are commonly early seen.、Uh, you can have recurrent vomiting, cognitive changes,、uh, profound respiratory failure, abnormal movements, ataxia, hearing loss, ophthalmoplegia. Really, pick a syndrome of any of the other、uh, mitochondrial myopathies, and you can see it. And just like、okay. some of these others, you'll see elevated serum and CSF lactate.、Uh, if you were to get pathology on children with this disorder, you would see. Not only a severe mitochondrial muscle disease, we haven't really talked about that, but let's talk about it when we finish this.、Uh, but you'll、mm-hmm. see uh, mitochondrial uh, changes, and you'll also see this spongiform or cystic degeneration、uh, in some of the deep nuclei of the brain and posterior columns、uh, on postmortem pathology. And so that's where it gets this name of necrotizing encephalomyopathy. But it's really a brain, spinal cord, and muscle、uh, necrotizing degenerative disorder. And, Uh, really, there's unfortunately no therapy, and it's generally fatal、uh, fairly, fairly early on over the course of one to a few years.、Uh, again, due probably、mm-hmm. to respiratory failure in most cases.、Uh, I want to expand a little bit on、uh, pathology and mitochondrial disorders, only because we didn't talk about it at the beginning,、uh, other than to say、sure. that there are ragged red fibers. But the other thing we didn't talk about is the、uh, electron microscopy findings, and these are actually pretty distinct in mitochondrial disorders. So, Uh, if you were to do electron microscopy on a patient with a mitochondrial disorder, you would see this very classic.、Uh, they call it parking lot、uh, mitochondrial. And what it looks like is, if you picture, you know, you're flying over. Maybe you're flying into the airport, and you see the the parking lot below you. All the cars are arranged in rows,、uh, and they're kind of sometimes off at a little bit of a diagonal angle. You actually see that with the mitochondria in the muscle fiber. They're really arranged、uh, very geometrically in these straight rows. Uh, we'll chalk this up to things that I don't know why they happen, but it's a classic uh, uh, pathognomonic biopsy finding. But you need to ask for electron microscopy in order to see it. So that's something you'll see in addition to the ragged red fibers that we talked about early on. Excellent. And then, how about、uh, glycogen storage、uh, diseases? Yeah. So these, this again, there are probably fifteen or more of these,、uh, but there are really only a couple. I think you need to know. Uh, as a non-subspecialist, and certainly for exam purposes,、uh, they're kind of a misnomer. Not all of them lead to glycogen storage, although、uh, both of the ones that we're going to talk about do.、Uh, just to recap, so glycogen is sort of our rapidly available glucose store in the muscle. So it's where the muscle、uh-huh. keeps its own; it hoards its own glucose,、uh, kind of like toilet paper in our current COVID outbreak <laughs> time. It's a reference that I'm sure will wear well over time. But、uh, anyone who's listening to this in early 2020 knows what I'm talking about. So,、uh, yeah, the, the muscles hoard glucose as glycogen, and, and it's really a couple of different pathways to break that down into glucose. And these disorders generally result from defects in enzymes in that pathway. So,、mm-hmm. uh, the one, that, probably the two that you'll hear the most about are Pompe、uh, disease and McArdle disease. So, Pompe's disease、uh, or glycogenosis type two. Uh, is due to an acid maltase or alpha glucosidase—two different names for the same enzyme—disorder,、uh, and this is coded by the GAA gene.、Uh, this enzyme 
actually can break glycogen directly down into glucose. So it's the, one of the most rapidly available uh, stores of glycogen from glucose, sorry, glucose from glycogen. It's autosomal recessive in inheritance. Uh, what makes it uh, both confusing and interesting for neuromuscular neurologists is it can really present any time from infancy to adulthood. So this is one of those unicorns of neuromuscular disease. When we have somebody who's uh, presenting with unexplained weakness or exercise intolerance, we always look for it in adults. Rarely uh, do we find it. Uh, my mentor has been looking for it for 10 years and hasn't found it, but we do find it. Uh, <laughs> you probably just aren't looking at the right people, or I don't know, uh, but it's out there. <laughs> Uh, the infant form can be really severe. So these babies can be hypotonic, uh, again, sort of like these other uh, metabolic or myop myopathic syndromes in infants. Uh, what makes them a little bit different is they often will have hepatomegaly and cardiomegaly as well. Uh, and in the infant form, it can progress uh, to be fatal within two years uh, due to either uh, cardiac deficits or respiratory weakness. The juvenile form is a little more slowly progressive. And like some of these other disorders, could easily look like Duchenne's or a limb girdle muscular dystrophy. So you have children with a proximal greater than distal weakness and abnormal waddling gait. They can exhibit the Gower sign, which is, again, is really just compensatory for proximal weakness. Uh, and also mm -hmm. they can have progressive respiratory weakness. Uh, patients with the juvenile form tend to pass away from uh, respiratory complications by their 20s, uh, and they less commonly have cardiomyopathy than in the infant form. The adult form is really the most sneaky. So this can come on in the 20s to 30s, sometimes even a little bit later. Can look again like a limb girdle or a proximal muscular dystrophy. And they'll often complain of myalgias, uh, especially after exercise, uh, and will develop respiratory weakness over time. They actually tend to have cardiac conduction deficits more often than a cardiomyopathy. Uh, if you look at the pathology in any of these patients, you'll see accumulation of glycogen uh, vacuoles inside the muscle. And this is because you simply can't break it down. So you're bringing it in, but it's not going yeah. out. Uh, so it really mm -hmm. is a classic glycogen storage disorder. Uh, the reason it's so important to diagnose is there actually is a treatment. Uh, and this is really one of those nice treatable syndromes. And we treat it with uh, recombinant alpha-glucosidase. So you actually replace the enzyme uh, with an enzyme replacement therapy. This is better for the infantile form uh, and obviously can mm -hmm. prolong life for these infants. So it's really important to diagnose. Uh, interestingly, if, if the infant is completely devoid of functional alpha-glucosidase or acid maltase, they can actually develop an immunity to this recombinant enzyme. So their immune system will attack the enzyme as foreign, and it won't be effective in them. So you can sort of see this phenomenon in, in these really severely affected infants. And then, unfortunately, there is really no effective treatment that they can tolerate. But it's worth knowing because you can treat it uh, by replacing the enzyme that's missing. And again, that enzyme is acid maltase or alpha-glucosidase, two names for the same thing. Excellent. And then the other one McArdle, I think, you were yeah, mentioning? Yeah. So McArdle, you'll hear a lot about uh, as well. This is glycogenosis type 5. Uh, this is a mutation in PYGM gene, which codes for myophosphorylase. Myophosphorylase is an enzyme that catalyzes the first step in converting glycogen to G6P. So it, it again, will lead to a buildup of glycogen and an impairment of metabolism uh, early in exercise. And so the classic form, uh, and again, this is this like Pompeys, this is autosomal recessive in inheritance. The classic form mm -hmm. uh, is exercise intolerance that presents in childhood or early adulthood. And these patients may be fine at rest, but even uh, with intense exertion uh, fairly early on, they get quite weak and they can have severe myalgias, severe cramps. Uh, this can happen with more prolonged, mild or moderate activity, but the classic trigger is short duration intense exercise. 
What's interesting is they can actually get this second wind phenomenon. So after a few minutes, if they can persist with exercise to some degree, the muscles actually uh, increase their uh, uptake of serum glucose, free serum glucose, and then they can uh, push, sort of push through this and get a second wind and actually maintain some level of exercise for a period of time. Now, you can see myoglobinuria and even rhabdomyolysis with uh, exercise in these patients. The minority of them will develop fixed weakness, but often it's just episodic exercise intolerance. Now, as a rule, you'll see elevated CK at all times, but it's certainly worse with exercise. And these are, you know, at rest, these patients are typically two to three uh, times the upper limit of normal. So in the high hundreds, low thousands, but obviously can jump very high uh, after exercise into the tens of thousands. They do pathology on these patients. Again, you'll see glycogen accumulation. Uh, it tends to be more subsarcolemal in these patients as opposed to all throughout the muscle fiber. Uh, and you can actually stain mm. the muscle fiber from myophosphorylase, and you'll see absent myophosphorylase staining, analogous to what you would do uh, with dystrophin staining in a patient with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Uh, unlike Pompe's, there's not an evidence-based, or at least a treatment with high-quality evidence. There have been some studies that have shown uh, sucrose supplementation as being helpful. However, Interestingly enough, this actually can lead to weight gain uh, and um, <clears throat> metabolic syndromes, which in and of themselves can lead to exercise intolerance. So it's sort of a double-edged sword. <laughs> uh, but really, the treatment is supportive, and these patients should avoid high-intensity exercise, which, of course, can be functionally limiting in terms of jobs they can do and uh, certainly uh, quality of life. Uh, but if, if treated properly, uh, they can have... Uh, a, fairly good quality of life and, and a normal life expectancy. Very good. Uh, so just some key features uh, for uh, glycogen uh, storage or glycogen breakdown-related uh, syndromes. Uh, for Pompeii, you have an acid maltase uh, issue uh, deficiency, um, and you can see it in infancy, you can see it in juvenile and adulthood. Uh, infancy is the most severe, um, and then you actually have a treatment of alpha glucosidase um, or acid maltase. Um, and this one is like a progressive weakness, whereas in McCardell disease, you could have like this episodic weakness that's related to um, exertion. Uh, both are autosomal recessive. Um, and in McCardell disease, you would have a myoglobinuria, uh, CK is elevated, uh, and there's not really a clear uh, really? treatment, but then some proposed dietary treatments. How about we move on to uh, lipid-related uh, muscle diseases? Yeah, so these are probably even more complex than the glycogen-related uh, muscle diseases, and that's because you have different types of fatty acids that the muscles can use for energy in different ways. So fatty acids can be uh, anywhere in length from what we call short chain to medium chain, long chain, and very long chain. So there are these four different sort of classes of fatty acids that are metabolized, and in any of these uh, metabolic pathways, you can have deficits. So you can imagine how many disorders that leads to. But uh, the good news, again, is there are really a couple that are the most common, uh, certainly a couple that are the most tested and that you probably need to know. Uh, and those center around long-chain fatty acid metabolism. So the first one you should probably know. Oh, yes, isn't it giving you flashbacks? Great. It sounds like biochemistry all over It's funny. Again. I, I, when we were talking about the Krebs cycle, I I still can't quite remember the Krebs <laughs> yes. cycle, but I can remember the library that I tried to memorize it in. So I don't know what that tells you about me. But um, anyway, that's why when you when you grow up, you get to just refer to textbooks. So uh, 
carnitine deficiency. So private, this is also known as primary carnitine deficiency, and that's because you can get secondary carnitine deficiency from a number of different causes. But we're really talking about the congenital primary carnitine deficiency. And this is actually due to a mutation in a carnitine transporter, uh, which shuttles carnitine uh, through the muscle cell membrane, and there, and there it's taken up into the mitochondria as part of long-chain fatty acid transport into the mitochondria. So it really leads to a downstream problem in long-chain fatty acid metabolism because that they can't get into the mitochondria to be metabolized. Uh, you can get a number of different presentations ranging from childhood to early adult onset, but they tend to share this progressive proximal weakness. And importantly, you can get a dilated cardiomyopathy. So again, we really have to watch out for that because that uh, is often uh, the cause of death in these patients when they do die. Uh, it's diagnosed uh, generally with a serum carnitine level. So the carnitine is actually reduced in the serum. Mm -hmm. uh, the CK can be variably elevated, sometimes normal. Uh, if it's quite elevated, you'll also see LFT elevations as well. Uh, and these labs may be uh, worse in patients who are fasting uh, because, again, you're, they're sort of in a metabolic state in which they would require uh, fatty acid metabolism. On the pathology, you'll see lipid accumulation just under the sarcolemmal membrane. Uh, and the nice thing is this is actually treatable to some degree uh, with oral L-carnitine supplementation. Uh, you'll get a variable response from this. It kind of depends on the patient, but it's worth trying in everybody. And then, of course, obviously, you want to monitor them for any cardiac complications with echocardiograms. The other one worth knowing about is carnitine palmitotransferase 2 deficiency or, or CPT2 deficiency. Uh, so this transporter uh, is on the inner mitochondrial membrane, and it's part of a chain of transporters that brings long-chain fatty acids from the cytoplasm of the muscle into the mitochondria for metabolism. This is an autosomal recessive disorder, uh, and it's the most common cause of recurrent myoglobinuria. So if you have a patient who's coming in with uh, exercise-induced myoglobinuria, particularly if it, if it doesn't happen until later in exercise, when you get into fatty acid metabolism, that's, that's sort of your classic red flag for CPT2 deficiency. And this can be uh, profound. These patients can go into severe rhabdomyolysis with mm -hmm. prolonged uh, exercise. Uh, what differentiates this from, CP, uh, from uh, primary carnitine deficiency, which really both have the same downstream effect, is that the carnitine is normal in the serum in CPT2 deficiency that it's not a problem with carnitine metabolism. Uh, the path actually also looks normal on light microscopy. You don't tend to see lipid accumulation, uh, but you will see it often if you use electron microscopy to get a better look. And that probably just suggests that the accumulations are not as large as they are in carnitine uh, deficiency. Uh, unfortunately, L-carnitine supplementation does not work in this case, and you often have to just advise patients to avoid prolonged intense exercise uh, and also to eat a high-protein, low-fat diet, eat frequently. Uh, and if they're having a febrile illness, we'll often encourage them to take in more complex carbohydrates to prevent them from having to go into lipid metabolism. I see. The, the, the great thing, to, the key thing to remember is that with the, like you said, with the lipid-related uh, uh, muscle disorders, they come with prolonged exercise versus uh, with the glycogen storage ones. Exactly. Uh, so that's a great review. Thanks, guys. Stay tuned for part four.